Um, just wanted to say hello for those of you who don't know me. My name's Rob. I'm a member of the church family here. Shall we pray? Uh, Father, I just pray that you'll speak to our hearts this morning. As we come to your word, will you stir in us what we need to hear? Amen. So a question for you. What, what do you do when you're trying to figure something out? Perhaps you're just you know, trying to work out the name of that song that you just can't get out of your head. and It's just been bugging you relentlessly. Or maybe it's a crossword clue. And had it only been in yesterday's paper, you would have absolutely answered it straight away. But somehow, between now and then, the name of the shortest serving British Prime Minister has just decided to pop out of your head for a minute. That's George Canning, if you were wondering. Or maybe it's a, a much bigger life decision. Maybe it's what job we should be applying for. Maybe it's where we should be investing our time, our skills, our gifts, or money. Or, or maybe things aren't quite going to plan. And we're asking ourselves that question. Why me? Why now? So, so what do you do? Do you pray? Do you turn to the Bible? Do you sit down with your family and your friends and, and talk it through? Um, do you take the time to do some solid research and rely on the wisdom and knowledge of others? Ah, that sounds a bit, a bit too practical. Now, now what we're going to do, uh, we're going to run every single possible iteration of the problem over and over in our minds until something happens, we either get more freaked out or we forget about it. Or, or maybe, we're really serious, we do want to solve this problem. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to Google every single word in the English language that's even vaguely connected to what we're trying to work out until we either find the answer or get distracted by a heartwarming story about a cat who's learned to water ski. Or perhaps, and I think this is probably my most common technique, um, make a cup of coffee, put my feet up, and go, well, you know what, that's future me's problem. In your face, future me. You see, for those of us who many of those last three solutions strike a chord, I mean, we know they're not really solutions. We know that reading the Bible, that praying, talking it through with people we love and trust, doing actual research, will always have a far higher success rate. But the problem is, these actual solutions rely on us putting our trust outside of ourselves. And that's not easy. It's massively countercultural. We'd so often much rather look down at our own feet and trust in ourselves, in what we can do in our strength. Because to be honest, anything else makes us feel vulnerable. But the psalmist from our reading today presents us with a counter-argument that rather than look down at ourselves, what the psalm says is that we need to look up. Because in looking up, that's where we find God. That's not all we're told. We're told that by looking up, by trusting in God, we are not vulnerable but actually quite the opposite. We are safe, we are sheltered, we are loved. And as the psalmist says, 
in verse 8, both now and forevermore. So let's have a little look at the psalm in a bit more detail. And do follow along. If you've got uh, your Bible with you, you've got it open or on an app, uh, please do follow it along. And so this is, this is a psalm for the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's what's referred to as a song of ascents. And you'll see in the Bible there are 14 of them. They start at 120, um, and then the next 14 psalms are the songs of ascents. Um, and the psalmist who wrote the psalm before, the first psalm of ascents, is a long way from Jerusalem. Uh, it says that he dwells in Meshach, which is a long way away. Uh, the next psalm, Psalm 122, we have David standing at the gates of Jerusalem. So we can assume that on this psalm, the one in between, we're on a journey. We are heading towards Jerusalem. We've left our home comforts. We've uh, spent hours a day walking along hot, dusty roads. Our feet are sore, blistered. We've been thirsty, we've been hungry, we've had to rely on the kindness of strangers. We may even have been in actual physical danger. But now, as we're walking along, we lift our eyes up, and in the distance, among the hills, the valleys, and the mountains, we can see smoke rising, perhaps a glint of reflected sunlight. And as we get closer, we're able to make out the shapes of buildings. This is Jerusalem. This is where we're heading. We're going to make offerings to God to celebrate one of the three major festivals. And when we see this sight, what goes through our minds? Perhaps we wonder, how have we made it here? What have we endured? Maybe our hearts are filled with joy and hope. But what we do know for sure, what we see in this psalm in verses 1 and 2, is that our minds should be turned to the Lord our God. Like the mountains, he is rock solid and sure. In fact, in Psalm 125, just a few psalms ahead, that comparison between God and the mountains is made. Verse 1 and 2, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The opening of this psalm is a reminder that no matter what we've been through, the creator God, the maker of heaven and earth is there for us. He is the one that we can, that we should turn to for help. So what does turning to God for help actually look like? Well, the rest of the psalm answers that. In verse 3, we're, we're promised guidance on the path, no matter how treacherous. See, one, one of my favorite parts of the country is the Lake District, and it was wonderful to see uh, Ian up there. And I have fond memories of a family holiday uh, where my dad led us into a peat bog, insisting it was going to be a shortcut. And then uh, a few years later, I did my Gold Duke of Edinburgh up there, and we were woken in the morning by the sound of RAF fast jets just shooting through the valleys. It's spectacular. Um, but I also remember the paths up there. They're often craggy. They're littered with stones. You, you seemingly both need to be watching your feet and the path ahead at the same time while making sure you don't miss the views that are around you. 
And I think it's a journey like this that the psalmist is sort of describing here. One that's full of joys, surprises, perhaps diversions, and the very real danger that your foot could slip on a loose stone. Yet the promise here, despite the path that life has put before us, whether calm and smooth or rocky and full of stones, whether it's one we expected or one that despite our best efforts, we found ourselves on anyway. The promise here is that we can always look to God for help. He will keep us on a sure footing. It might not be the easiest path, but it's going to be a sure footing nonetheless. And then reading on, we see that God will always be there. In verse 4, it says, he will neither slumber nor sleep. And that would have really stood out to the original singers of this psalm. You see, in 1 Kings 18, uh, Elijah is challenging the prophets of Baal to call fire down from their God to set alight a sacrificial altar. And they do everything they can, but it goes about as well as you expect. And Elijah turns them and he taunts them. In verse 27, in, in 1 Kings 18, he says, Shout louder! Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And then by contrast, Elijah has the altar that he has set up, drenched with water. Yet when he calls on God, fire is sent down from heaven and the water-drenched altar set alight. See, the God described in this psalm is a God who can perform miracles at all times of day or night. He is a God who will never desert us. Even to the very end, he shelters us and he watches over us. See, this psalm is only eight verses long. Yet the Hebrew verb to watch appears six times. In the NIV, it's translated five times as to watch and once as to keep. But it is the same word. The key message we've got to get from this psalm is that God will always be watching over us. See, nothing is too small to be worthy of his note. I mean, look at verse 8. It says, The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And the last two psalms, last two words of this psalm remind us just how complete God's help really is. Now and forevermore. One of those mountains that is mentioned in the opening verses, the mountains around Jerusalem, one of those mountains would one day see three crosses raised. And on one of those crosses, Jesus, the Son of God, would die for our sins. You see, ultimately, we are simply not able to be our own help. The pilgrims that would have sung this psalm when they went to the temple would have offered sacrifices for their sins. But that was never going to be enough. We are a broken sinful people. Nothing nothing that we ourselves can do 
or achieve will ever change that. But our Father in heaven loves us. He sacrificed for us so that it could be possible for us to be in relationship with him now and ultimately forevermore. As amazing a promise as that is, though, I think it really leaves us with a challenge today. See, we live in a world that celebrates self. The news outlets run stories of self-made millionaires. And you can't spend 10 minutes on the internet without an advert for an article promising that you'll make tens of thousands of pounds a week through various schemes. Society tells us that it is up to us to secure our future. That we are the ones that we should be relying on. And you know what, if we fail, well we fail, but at least you've tried. The mindset of this psalm, though, is very different to that. It runs counter to this world of Western capitalism that we've grown up in. And so how do we live today knowing that our true help is from the Lord. And a couple of areas we've got to be careful with here, though. I mean, this is not a promise that if we rely on the Lord, it's always going to be smooth sailing, uh, that everything's going to go our way. Uh, There will be ups, there there will be downs. Uh, There'll be times when it is unbelievably hard. But that does not mean that God is not watching over us. I mean, we see examples of this throughout the Bible. Last year, we looked as a church family at the story of Daniel, torn from his family at a young age, his identity stripped from him, ordered into the service of a foreign king, thrown, eventually thrown into a den of lions. But throughout all that, as we saw when we read through that book together as a family, that God was the constant. He was always there watching over Daniel and his friends. Experiences of Joseph, Ruth, and Esther, and many more show us that this is a promise that God has kept throughout time, and in Jesus has made that a certainty forever. All we can do, um, sorry, all we can do is know that whatever we're facing, the Lord is watching over us, and that ultimately there is hope. I do think there is another, perhaps more challenging takeaway here. You see, the cost of the pilgrimage that this psalmist would have gone on was huge. He would have had to leave his family for quite a long duration. He would have to leave his fields, his crops, his livestock. He would have to rely on those they met on the road to provide for his needs and keep him safe. In short, he would have had to leave the security of all his stuff and step out in faith onto the road. And I think it's that truth that makes the profession at the start of this psalm all the more amazing. To have left everything behind, even if it was only temporarily, to have stepped out in faith and then be able to sing to the hills that it is from our Father in heaven that our help comes from. Honestly, can we say that 
today is us. Can we really make that same profession? Now, I'm not saying that all of us should go home and immediately cancel pensions, sell houses, and stop saving. Those things aren't bad. Um, although, maybe that is something, that is a sacrifice that God might be calling you to. But the question is, where in the hierarchy of our hearts do we put those things? When we ask ourselves the question posed in that first verse, where does my help come from? Do we first think of our houses, our jobs, our pensions, our savings? And do we perhaps think that, yes, we've got this sorted? Or like the psalmist, can we say with all honesty that when we think of that question, the first thing that comes to our mind is my help comes from the Lord? That is not easy. And after all, we've worked to achieve these things. But remember the second part of the psalmist's answer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Everything that we have and will have is a gift from a father who loves us, who gave his son to die for us and his spirit to live in us. If we're going to honestly proclaim that we believe that God watches over us, that he is our help, then when we are looking for answers, whether it's rethinking our giving, where and how we're spending and saving our money, whether it is we're going to apply for that new job, or whether in the depth of despair we're asking why me, we have to remember that the Lord is our help. And it's from that place that we must first look for our answers. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. Um, and as they do, um, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to sort of challenge you um, to, as we pray, to be thinking, is that me? Where, where am I putting the stock? Where do I put my hope? Do I put it in the help of God, or do I first think of the things that I've created? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that as we look to the hills, we see you, we see your help, that you have promised that you will always be with us that you will always be watching over us. And we pray, Lord, that you will constantly be on our hearts, that you will be the first that we turn to when we think of that question, where does our help come from? That it is from you and from only you, because we cannot do this ourselves, Lord.